0: Where were you on the 22nd of March this year? Becky and I remember it only too well. You were in America.
1: Oh, was I was at the
0: just uh, Claire and I just uh, arrived uh, from South Africa, and uh, I, I was uh, being chased by, uh, uh, by um, Channel 4 News for comments and contacts. But... Um, uh, we've already used the word celebration because I think actually you know, uh, uh, we're, uh, we're just building up apparently for an enormous uh, funeral for, for, for Junior Achebe in, in Nigeria, but uh, as far as the, the, the wider world is concerned, uh, one wants to celebrate an astonishing achievement in terms of encouraging Africans to write, and Africans to feel that they could get published. That's at the foundation, not only of his own writing, which of, of course uh, everybody has a high regard for, um, uh, and there's an enormous amount of work and discussion of that, but his generosity with the African Writer Series was very considerable. He gave a lot of time to it. Nineteen fifty eight William Heinemann, the father of Heinemann Educational Books, published uh, Things Fall Apart uh, apart in um, hardback. Just a couple of thousand copies, uh, mainly for for, uh, uh, library sales and reviews. Uh, It got um, quite reasonable reviews, but not ones that made either uh, Penguin or Pam make an offer for, uh, for uh, subsidiary rights. When Alan Hill, now Alan Hill is the founding father of, of, of um, Heinemann Educational Books and uh, <coughs> was an inspired enthusiast, and he went to Nigeria in 1959 and he, uh, and he was really quite surprised that he wasn't being patted on his back for his marvelous achievement in publishing this, uh, this, this outstanding book by this young Nigerian. And people were saying, oh, good lord. Do you mean to say a a London publishing house has published uh, one of our students and so on? Oh, it's Young young Chino down at Federal Broadcasting. Anyhow, they were terribly patronizing, and Alan Hill thought, no, we need an African penguin series. We need a paperback series that really will uh, 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 get books. Uh, uh, in, in, into Africa at a, re- a reasonable and accessible price. And uh, he worked on th- this, and in 1962 um, Asher uh, is working on the um, uh, uh, Congress for Cultural Freedom in Paris. They put some money into absolutely splendid things. One of the most important things they put money into was the McCarrie, uh Writers' Conference. Uh, in McCarry in Uganda, and it was the, the first time that really uh, uh, this new uh, writers uh, uh, were meeting. Googie was a, a student um, at at McCary, uh, and, and he uh, apparently been finishing his uh, his novel by firelight, with uh, and getting his friends to time it out in, so that he could. Uh, catch Chinua Achebe. and went to see Chinua Achebe in, his, in the guest house and he very diffidently uh, gave him these, these novels. Chinua read them overnight, uh, recommended that Heinemann should do them. Uh, Chinua's uh, had uh, uh, the first three titles in the African Writers Series were available at that meeting in, the, in, in, in 1962. Uh, the very first title, of course, was uh, uh, Things Fall Apart, uh, which um, was number one in the series, uh, so it got it got off to a flying start. But what Alan Hill uh, realised uh, uh, about this encounter between Googie and Luchesi was that Luchesi uh, was a magnet for young writers. He was he was the sort of person who would attract scripts, and my goodness, did he, he did! In 1962 it was the beginning of the African Writers Series. And in December of that year, uh, uh, 1962, he uh, agreed to take on the the role of editorial advisor for the African Writers' Series. Twenty-five years later, he wrote, As for the African Writers' Series, in that same eventful year of 1962, I was invited to be its founding editor, and I was to spend a considerable part of my literary energy in the following ten years wading through a torrent of good bad and indifferent writing that seemed in some miraculous way to have been waiting behind the sluice (coughs) gates for the trap to be released and of course he was very generous with his time and with his enthusiasm unfortunately this was matched at Heinemann by particularly the enthusiasm of Alan Hill but also in particular Keith Sambra (coughs) Uh, who had really looked after the first thirty titles in in, in the series, and I worked uh, very closely with him, and he actually joined Clare and me in our our own uh, our own firm in in, in, the, in the late late eighties. This was very important because I think compared with a, a, a lot of other uh, 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 publishers, there was enthusiasm. Not just among the Africanists, but uh, uh, people thought it was something special. In the year 2000, um, Claire and I were uh, invited to join' uh, birthday conference at Bard in Upper, uh, New York State. And it was uh, you know it was a pretty uh, uh, amazing do. I mean, there was, uh, It involved three Nobel Prize winners, Sean Kurt Goldima, Chade Morrison. Uh, the whole thing started with a, a, a Mandela uh, a video talking about how he'd read Things Fall Apart on Robin Island. And uh, it was uh, altogether a tremendous celebration of Chinua Achebe as one of the outstanding novelists of the later 20th century. But when I was asked by Chinua's son to uh, contribute uh, something to tell the this distinguished audience, something about what Chinua had done with the African Writers Series. And um, after I'd given my talk, I was really quite surprised by the number of people who came and said, look, we knew him about Chinua as a writer, but we didn't know he was so generous with his time for, uh, in helping other writers, uh, young writers uh, coming on. So that gave me actually the idea for Africa Rights Back, and I, I realized that the story of the series needed uh, uh, telling. Chinua's own enormous contribution. Now, the, the thing was that his initial contribution was extremely complicated because of the Biafran War. Um, I joined Heinemann in, in 1967. But just before I, uh, I was still working up my notice at Oxford University Press, and uh, Keith Sandrup rang up and said, oh, Junior's coming coming through uh, t- tomorrow. Can you come round and, s- and meet him? So, of course, I was very excited, a, a particularly sort of gloomy February day, went round. I, I, said, I, I, I had been running the Three Crown series for, for Oxford University Press. Well, I'd taken over from Rex Collins, who was the founder of... The, or the Three Crown series. I tried to get uh, some titles added to it, but on the whole, I was... um, the books were not considered of sufficient standard, I think was the the phrase. I had tried to get Ty Salih's Wedding of Zane uh, uh, accepted, and it was turned down. So I could take it round to Chinua and to Keith Sandbrook. And uh, I rather diffidently gave them uh, this, this copy, uh, this, this manuscript. And they started having a look at it. And within ten minutes, the two of them were saying, oh, yes, no, it, oh, we, we must have this, and they have to write it. So, you know, this was a complete transformation from the committee written Oxford University Press. Uh, and it was an you know, absolute transforming moment for, uh, to find such Self-confidence, acceptance, of worth. Last year, uh, Chino Achebe published this um, book. There was a country, a personal history of Biafra, And um, of course, uh, the time I first met him was in February 1967, and uh, the war—the war actually uh, started in July 1967, that very year. But Chino was. Uh, working to me as the uh, uh, as the house editor of the African Writers series. Communication was quite a problem at the time because uh, you know, we used to have mysterious messages coming by various uh, Biafran networks. We had uh, letters with Paris based marks. Uh, and then you know, you'd pick up the phone and she would say, I'm at Heathrow, uh, I've, I've just come in from Uli. Well, Uli was the airstrip, which was made in Biafra from a road. And then flew to Saint-Tome in, 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 in the Gulf of Biafra, the Bight of Biafra. And uh, then from Saint-Tome, to, to, he, he would take, uh, to take a, a, a plane to Lisbon and then on to London. So he had serious problems uh, getting in and out of Biafra. He was uh, going on to America. He um, uh, 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 he'd given up on, on Britain, because Wilson's government had uh, uh, supported the Federals in, 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 in Nigeria. But when he was passing through, and so we, we, we'd have these editorial conferences from, uh, from Heathrow, occasionally he'd make it into the, uh, the office when he was um, uh, coming back from having been fundraising in the United States and so on. But of course the great thing was that um, at meetings Alan Hill used to say, well, well James you know, you, I put in a proposal it would, it would be discussed by all my favourite directors, and I, and uh, they'd go this way and that side it would be too long, it wouldn't be too expensive to do it and oh they okay, dealt yeah, with sex, could you sell books on sex in secondary schools, oh, well you could in African secondary schools, <laughs> they went it in a big way but anyway, <laughs> and, and, and um, uh, sex religion and politics, you know well, you, couldn't get those into uh, uh, British secondary schools, but you could in, a- in Africa. And anyhow, Chinua wanted uh, work of the highest possible standard, whatever it I pray are, Mars uh, um, uh, um, amazing book, beautiful ones, not yet um, uh, uh, born with, with a deeply worked image of shit right through to the time <laughs> when they escaped from the, the night soil hole. So we were an educational company, but fortunately, Alan was encouraging us. Keith Sandbrook and I were having a lovely time with all this amazing stuff. And it was amazing, in a way, it was an act of faith because we didn't quite know how much writing was going on in Africa. But the great thing was, as soon as they started seeing these sort of orange covers and so on, they used to be stacked in, uh, uh, in, in, in bookshops. Uh, it, it had always a picture on the back. And that encouraged people, good lord, you know, these Africans writing books? So anyhow, by the, the, the end of the, of the Afro war, uh, we were publishing uh, 19, 19, 21, 22 titles a year. We found the work was there, and we, we could get it out, and we could uh, make the sales. At the, end, at the end of the war, I, I, I went on a visit to at the, the University of Nigeria. Um, a gentleman uh, has written about it um, about, based on her uncle's experience. The federal forces had gone through Nsuka, they absolutely hated the, this, the, this, uh, the Nsuka as a statement of, of Igbo nationalism and uh, an Igbo culture. And it, uh, it was one of the most severely damaged places in, in, in eastern Nigeria. And uh, I went to see Chinua and Christie uh, Achebe and uh, a room with blackened walls, no power, and so on. Chinua said, um, no time to write novels during the war. But I did uh, did, uh, did assemble this collection of, of stories. So, he gave me "Girls at War," and he said, "Look, I think you know that, that really somebody else ought to uh, take over as editorial advisor. What about Googie? We understood this, and we took, uh, we tried Googie, and, um, and Googie, very sensibly, I think, realised that that, that that he was going to get overwhelmed by this torrent of good bad, and different writing, and uh, say." say in, in fact, what we went over to was a triumvirate of Ikega um, in about, and Henry in Nairobi and myself taking the, the, the series on and uh, drawing on advisors from all over Africa. At the time of Chibi's Bard celebration, he gave an interview to Maya Jay for The Guardian. And um, he, he, he was actually asked, well, we didn't seem to have been paid a fee. And he said, oh, I thought it was of the utmost importance. He said, people in England were skeptical so that I knew I was a conspirator. And, and this was a word that he really saw himself conspiring with uh, his, uh, his colleagues in Ireland in to get African writers not just known in Africa, but also to be recognized in New York, in London, and in translation in, in, in Europe, in, 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 in Japan, and so on. Anyhow, we celebrated the 10th anniversary with the publication of Girls of War. The 20th anniversary in 1982 was a complete. We did nothing because on April 1982, the Nigerian Foreign Exchanges. Closed. It was the beginning of the book famine in Africa. <coughs> and up to that point, we'd been succeeded uh, in selling something like 80% of the sales were in Africa. And at that time, uh, I, uh, Vicky Unwin, who, who took, took on for me, she, she fortunately managed to keep the publishing going. I mean, I'd been told that I would only, because of the Nigerian uh, debts, I, I would only be able to do a perhaps a couple of titles in the United States. That wasn't uh, what I wanted to do, so uh, Claire and I went off and set up our own business. And Vicky uh, worked very hard and uh, with a, particularly the support of John Watson in Hindman America built up the sales there. And that's where I want to hand it uh, 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 to Becky. Thank you so much. Yes.
2: Uh, when I arrived at Hindman in January, nineteen ninety-one. As a PA to uh who was then the managing director of the international department, the, the offices were based at Jordan. Jordan Hill. Uh, I think at i Oxford, think at Oxford. Oxford, at yeah. Oxford, but I think you were based in uh, London, to begin Yes, yes. And yes. then you came to Oxford. So I don't know anything about the London setup. I started my work at Heinemann at Oxford. Um, when I got there, both James Curry and Chihua Achebe were long gone, but their footprints were everywhere. And I mean everywhere. Every file we picked up had, you know, meeting remarks and marks, and, and it was actually quite uh, inspiring to feel that one was walking in such uh, giant shadows. The International Division published the World Famous African writer series, on which I cut my little teeth in Ghana in secondary school. I read my way through the distinctive orange-colored books in the series, some of my favorite titles include A Mouse, The Beautiful Ones Are Not Yet Born, Mwapa's uh, Ifuru, um, *Cadence*, Ambiguous Adventure, Saleh's The Wedding of Zane, which um, Jensen just uh, mentioned. was Who Killed Mangi Dog? and uh, Salome, mm-hmm. The Narrow Path, and, of course, uh, Awono, Kofi this uh my brother. Everybody mm-hmm. read them, and we used to, you know, have competitions about who's read what titles and who can quote most uh, lines mm-hmm. from which books. It was just like a wildfire it spread. Um, I was also part of a dedicated team of, about 21 creative an incredibly professional police who kept the backlist we had inherited from James and Chinua uh, going, and updated annually while adding new material of what we considered you know, innovative new writing from Africa and the African diaspora. The AWS books were also sold as set texts to schools, colleges and universities around the world. The target market was, of course, Africa, uh, or more precisely, African Ministries of Education. Maybe we can talk a little bit more about that later on. But there was also a burden in readership in the UK, Europe, and especially the US, due to the immediate influence of a large body of African Studies scholars and courses internationally. One has to remember that 15 years ago, the last year, writing from Africa was on of in the wider world. The history of the African Writers Series therefore encapsulates the history of Africa's struggle to rid itself of colonial domination and post-colonial oppression by presenting to the world stories written by Africans in which Africans themselves are the subjects of their own histories. The African Writers Series therefore positions itself at the vanguard of the movement of representing an African identity in the modern world. With nationalism, independence, and post-independence disillusionment, captures in the series by set titles as Achieve's and Fall Apart, Kawunda's Zambia Shall Be Free, and Amal's Beautiful One, not Be Bone, the new global diasporas of Africans, the power and influence of the series grew, and it came to be seen as the canon and carrier of this struggle. The remarkable thing is that Alan Hill, the late Alan Hill, and his team of editorial and publishing visionaries, including, of course, James Carey, Keith Sandbrook, assisted by other editor scouts in Africa, such as Henry Chikaba, uh, Ai Higo, who worked very closely with James back here in the UK. And of course, Achebe, as the first editor, had created a series like No Other. The late Alan Hill believed that probably the most significant achievement of the series was to alter the world's perception of Africa and its people. Achebe, who chose the first 100 titles, with James Curry. remarked that the launching of the series was like a starting pistol to African writers, for which the writers were waiting on a starting line. The race, I would like to think, has continued unabated to display the very best that has been thought and expressed in Africa. I would like to say that it is therefore no exaggeration to claim that African literature could not have attained its present form without the pioneering role that Heinemann played and Achebe's role in helping to shape the series. I met Chihuahua Achebe for the first time in 1992, just a year after I joined Heinemann, African Writers Series team. It was at the anniversary of the 30th anniversary celebrations of the African Writers Series, organized in a Waterstone bookshop in London. I was somewhat surprised to see him in a wheelchair. I was later to learn that he had had a motoring accident in Nigeria in 1990 while traveling in his soul country. The next time I met him again, was at the celebration of the 50th anniversary of the publication of Things Fall Apart in SOAS in London. That was in 2008. So unlike James, who worked with him in a personal capacity on the first 100 titles, my contacts with him have been mainly transitory on the phone and on paper. Please indulge me to recount this too. The first thing that struck me when I first met Chimura was his manner of speech. He was very softly spoken and spoke in his characteristic unhurried diction, barely above a whisper, in a surgically measured prose, but his words were measured and very powerful. My final two personal contacts with him on the, on the phone, first as an AWS consultant, after Heinemann's Actually, it was hardcore then decision to discontinue publishing new work in the series in 2002, and again at the beginning of last year, 2012, when I was publishing a book of essays in celebration of the 70th birthday of the renowned Ghanaian writer Amartai, and in my own capacity, as an independent publisher at IBM. In the former, I telephoned him at home at Bard College to break the news of Heidemann's decision as a consultant to the AWS. After I was made redundant, Harcourt re employed me to travel to various destinations to explain their decision to the big writers on the series Achimeli, Mugugi, Sholinka, and Meteta as a, as a kind of damage invitation exercise because the whole thing was just announced. Nobody was informed. It was like overnight it went up in flames and people were very. Very upset about the way the whole thing was handled. So I was drafted in to go out to try and calm um, waters. But listen to what happened when I was at Phone. Room. He listened intently after his wife, Christy, handed over the phone to him and he waited for me to finish my spiel. And then he said, in his timeless and horrid issue. how can you, Becky, after what they've done to you and to us? Allow them to use you in this manner. His words stamped me. And I responded by saying, Sir, I think there's a silver lining in there somewhere, sir. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the latter, I had contacted him about supporting the Idle book with the blur that was last year, which he readily agreed to do. But when I telephoned him back in late January 2012, after months of waiting, he was unable to speak to me and sent his apologies to a prodigy of his, the Nigerian writer, Oke Ndibe, incidentally, whose book was one of the last two books I edited before leaving Haidman in 2002, to tell me that he is very, very sorry he will not be able to do the blur. Ndibe informed me later that he had arrived in Achebe's home armed with a draft blur. He had hoped Achebe would read and approve but he was not having any of that. He wanted to write the blurb himself and didn't want to endorse what someone else had written for him because he held idle in such high regard. Unbeknown to me, he was very ill and he was effectively, and that was effectively my last contact with him. The fact of the matter was that that year, the year that I was acting as an AWS consultant was also the year I was setting up my idea. A, a rebuke had galvanized me into action. I thought, why don't I set up on my own? Why not? Why did I set up my idea? There's a tradition of editors and publishers before me who left Heinemann and set up successful business uh, publishing houses. I had the example of James Currie, Aikigo, and Heritogawa to draw on. I set up an idea also because I wanted to create a paradigm shift from the dependence on corporate conglomerates to publishing African writing to publishing African writing with a publishing house that is independently owned, operated, and managed by an African. I felt the time had come for Africans to start to flex their muscles. But my years in corporate publishing also made me acutely aware of the lack of diversity and on many fronts in, in the industry, and demonstrated further how that lack affected the way Africans are represented in these publishing houses. In fact, I would like to say, I think it have impacted on uh, what happened there negatively uh, because of the way African stories are shaped, happy, and presented to the wider world. My background in training at Ironman African Writers Association is, is just prepared me for the rigors of independent publishing. My 12-year service culminated in becoming the first woman submissions editor of the AWS, responsible for the day-sifting and selection of manuscripts at one of the most prestigious publishing houses in the world, stood me in good stead. And of course, my training here at Oxford University meant that I was used to working with academics and scholarly texts, from my experience of conducting research to articulating and arguing. These skills had an impact on my work. As a liaison person at Highland, I had had already worked with most of the writers publishing the series, uh, including uh, Mugudi, Mapande, Vieira, and a host of other prominent writers. I had earned their trust and confidence, and more importantly, I had a personal understanding of where they were coming from. My work as a Submission Senator of the AWS also alerted me to one crucial historical fact, the imbalance of publishing women writers. I consciously selected and promoted the publication of a greater number of narratives by women as a way of addressing that historical imbalance. Women writers, I have helped bring on board the AWS interview, the Sudanese writer, Leila Abuleila, the Mozambican writer, Lidia Munpley, the Zimbabwean writer, Ivonne Vieira, she was already on the scene, but I worked with her on a collection of African women's writing. And the Guyanese Nigerian writer, Karen King The Ivorian writer, Veronique Tadjou. She was also writing elsewhere, but it was during my time that she came on board the AWS. And last but not least, Amartayu, who still blames me today for dragging her, kicking and screaming. The African Writers' Series. As IABA celebrates 10 years' anniversary this year, I cannot really talk about IABA without acknowledging the huge debt I and IABA owe to the African Writers' Series, and of course the pioneers of the series, people like the late Alan Hill, James Curry, Keith Sandberg, and of course Chinua Achebe. I would like to conclude by acknowledging that. The finest British institutions have trained, nurtured, and sustained me throughout my career. The Heinemann African the series, the Open University, of course, here, Oxford University. And last but not least, Arts Council England, that supported idea with funding at crucial stages of our setting up. Before I hand over again to these ladies, I just thought I will. When Timber died, there was a huge avalanche of. Tributes on the internet and, and radio, and in, especially in Nigerian news. And I've selected a couple, two or three, that I'd like to just read to you very, very quickly to just give you the feel of how deeply people felt about the loss of Jim TV. As James said, I was actually attending the African Literature Association conference in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and it was on the second day. At breakfast, that the news swept through the hotel. And it was like somebody had dropped a bomb in, 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 the, in the conference. And what had happened was a hurriedly organized tribute session was put together, and eight prominent African scholars, including Ben Linkfalls, NSM Nyadu, uh, Abina Boussia, and quite a few others, stood out and belted out tributes that were. Leave you in tears. I was able to stand after them and say thank you on behalf of the African Writers' Series and, of course, on behalf of Alan Hill, James Curry, and Keith Sambri because they really were the pillars of starting up the series that some of us were able to inherit. And Google in this tribute note, Achebe is synonymous with the Hollywood African Writers' Series and African writing as a whole. As the general editor of the Highland African Writers Series, he had a hand in the emergence of many other writers and their publications. As a person, he embodied the wisdom that comes from a commitment to the middle way between extremes and, of course, current in the face of personal tragedy. Achille described generations and geographies. Every country in Africa, Africa claims him as their own. Some say these novels are quoted so frequently as proverbs that contain universal wisdom. His passing marks the beginning of the end of an epoch. And the BBC um, apparently put together hurriedly um, a, a sort of a, a tribute uh, broadcast for Chihuahua TV with the South African writer Nadine Gordimer and two Nigerians, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie and Chibundu Mnuzu. And this is what the BBC said. Achebe's death had saddened readers around the world, adding that although he apparently didn't like the phrase, Achebe was often described as the father of modern African literature. And certainly, his novel, Things Fall Apart, published when he was still in his 20s, Launched a whole new literary generation, not least because it was a story of African, told by an African, that the book confronted the psychological, cultural damage caused by colonization. But over the years, Achibi also addressed the corruption of post independent Nigerian politics and African politics in general, the nightmare of military dictatorships. James and I are in the process of. Editing a book on a collection of tributes and reflections on our TV. And we sent out a call to the people who I mentioned were on the ALA uh, tribute section um, as a, a tester to what, what we'll be doing later. And these are some of the uh, titles that have come back for that book. I thought I'll run through it very quickly with you. Eustace Palmer. Title is Chinua Achibi, the father of African literature. And Abina Buzia's title is Still Morning Yet on Creation. Helen Chikuma, title is Achinwa Achibi and the matrix of womanhood. Ernest Emenyunu, Achinwa Achibi, comet that happens once in a century. And Ben Linford, Achibi in Texas.
3: Thank you very much. Thank you both, and there's clearly lots to talk about. Um, so I'll, Ruth and I are just going to begin with a question each, and then we'll open to the floor. When I first came across the African Writer Series, I was an undergraduate. The thing that really appealed to my imagination and my kind of development of, of how I was thinking about literature was the opportunity it gave us to follow the whole, what Robert Danton calls a whole circuit of communication, and um, I think the African Writers' Series is just an exemplary um, instance of all of the possibilities, all of the interpretive possibilities that that opens up. You could enter in any, any number of stages and make any number of really interesting interventions. There are opportunities to look at the micro-decisions around um, the selection of texts and uh, looking at the reader's reports, which I know are in the archive at Reading, Um, the triangulation of these conspirators in the launch of African literature, to use Achebe's phrase um, between um, Nairobi Ibadan and London um, and the impact of the strong economic currents um, which led to the expansions and contractions in educational spending um, and that led from that seismic shift from like you were saying 80% of books being uh, distributed in Africa to suddenly that shifting to the US and Britain with changes in the curriculum over there as well and, and not to mention the multiple takeovers of Heinemann and its parent companies, which one point included um, British Tire and Rubber, <laughs> um, and, the, and you know the filtering down of editorial freedom that that gave, um, and eventually Pearson with its self-appointed role as a global teacher of English. So there's lots to think about at uh, any number of stages on this circuit of communication. Um, and I'm just going to ask um, James, but also Becky, to, to see what you think about, about one in particular. Clearly, when we think about the, the African writer series as a, as a literary series, it's, a kind of, it's, an, it's got an odd place as a, a fairly marginal series within an educational, um, educational publisher. And um, the history of educational publishing and of publishing more generally um, in the colonial era um, there's an interesting kind of trajectory from that that has led to the monopolies of certain publishing houses in the post-colonial era as well in what ways did the, did the African writer series really signal a reinvention of Heinemann educational books and the reinvention of its role
0: well I think uh, Heinemann educational books uh, uh, obviously a that, uh, that describes the, theory, the, the book uh, the the, the publisher in one way. The terribly important thing that was happening in about, about 1962, not just the McCurry meeting, but there were two other conferences also funded by the Congress of Cultural Freedom uh, one in Dakar, uh, writers of, uh, uh, and, uh, and teach, uh, teachers of uh, um, French expression, and one at for a <coughs> College in Sierra Leone. Uh, Zikon Pasleelli, the South African writer who was uh, working for the Congress of Cultural Freedom, used the money extremely seductively because uh, uh, and interestingly enough the, the 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 two conferences went in uh, in French and in english went in opposite directions mm-hmm. uh, opposite directions the dakar meeting the uh, uh, the whole feeling was that oh that, that writing by uh, Africans in French should be sort of part of African studies and part of anthropology and so on. At Fura Bay the uh, all, all these um, new teachers of, in English departments and the new universities around uh, in Abaddon, in McCarrory, in, uh, in Nairobi, they were all absolutely enthusiastic for getting not just doing Shakespeare not just doing Uh, Jerome Manley Hopkins, but also having uh, set books uh, uh, by writers. Uh, For instance, um, I think within 18 months of the publication of uh, of um, Googie's "We've Not Child," uh, Ikeke was writing from Nigeria. They sold 50,000 copies in one month in Nigeria because. It, it, it was being used for uh, for exams, and that for an educational public, uh, uh, We weren't alone. Longman were, were were very busy. Oxford University Press was uh, was busy too. Collins Fontana paperbacks. People like Butcher, Cheta and so on. They, they and um, uh, they, they were all publishing books. It wasn't the African Writers Series on its own. It was just that. The, uh, the, the we seized the opportunity. One of the, the, the problems about um, working for a capitalist company is that you've got to make, you've got to satisfy the, show, the shareholders. And, and but Alan Hill said, look, they, they're demanding 14 percent return on funds. Meet that. If you can achieve more than that, it gives you freedom to, to experiment with new titles. If you don't achieve it, they start questioning what you're doing. So he, as an old socialist, so I said, you know, go with them and we'll just we'll rerun their money into new titles when they're not looking. And that was, the, you know, that was the, 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 the... But we were making a success of being an educational publisher. making what you... I,
2: I, I, to add to what James has said, I absolutely agree. But I think there was also something quite crucial happening in Africa at the time. I've just written down the Independence Day of Ghana, where I, where I come from, 6th of March 1957. And the series was started in 1962. So when you look at those dates, immediately after Ghanaian independence, Nigeria became independence in 1970. A lot of other African countries went on to become independent. And they wanted to replace the literature courses from reading other European literary writers to African writers. And so the two things just came together and it caught fire. You know, like I said, a good fire. they wanted to see their own writers writing for uh, uh, their, their students, and it's only a natural progression that it happened to, to have happened when Adam Hill went, went to Nigeria and saw the and believed in African writers who wanted to start to see and he had. You know, people around him who also believed in the same vision. So I think that is a, a critical moment in the timing of starting the series and the independence movements that was happening on the continent actually coming together, the two colliding and just get the momentum going. So that, for me, I think is a critical moment because, as I said, I was reading these. Uh, 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 books in Ghana. We were actually uh, competing with each other because when de- we were reading all the books about snow and and all the other autumn and winter. That was what we were we were fed on. But it, you know, it, suddenly there were books written about the Hamatan that one could identify about the rainy season, and so it was a very important time in terms of de- de- developing. Uh, African literature, and I think Heinemann was um, absolutely instrumental in that. Of course, afterwards, problems started with, you know, uh, exchange rates and uh, uh, dictatorships, and all those sort of things happened as well. But I think, for being the crucial catalyst, was that independent movements coming together with Heinemann's vision of setting up the leading in Africans to write their own stories, the agency, their own. Uh, you know, in their own stories, and that was what for me I think was a crucial thing
1: Yeah I think it's really okay. interesting to think about those um, sort of bigger political and economic um, struggles and sometimes crises and the way that those sort of filter down to the, the relationship between the editor and the writer and, and the reader and I mean James he talks about the conspiratorial relationship um, and it's also a relationship of, of intimacy I think between the, the editor and the writer which depends on sort of trust and honesty maybe to a certain extent um, it's not always a mutual relationship you talked um, a little bit about the difficulty of communication at times particularly with the JB in the late 60s um, and that's that communication is something that maybe we take for granted today so I, I'd like to maybe to talk a little bit about the shifts in publishing which have taken place more recently, not only the corporatisation of publishing, but also the shifts in technology, digital technology in particular. And you've both founded independent publishing houses during those changes, and I wondered how those changes have affected the relationship between the editor and and the writer?
2: Does does the writer have different expectations of the publisher? I think they do actually. (laughs) And one of the things you have to take on board is that some of these writers have been published, they signed contracts at a time when there was no e-book element of of the contract. So one is having to go back and renegotiate um, and the, the whole thing is still up in the air about the percentages of what um, a writer should receive, which as is quite rightly put it, The writers are expecting to get a lot more than they, they were given when they signed contracts for the, for the, book, the actual you know, books. So there is a lot of turmoil, there's a lot of ease, there's a lot of tension going on at the moment between writers, editors, publishers, and um, we're still trying to sort the, those, those things out. I remember, too, when I worked for a year as a consultant for the AWS, at the time they were in the process of putting the backlist onto, um, there's, a, there's a company in Cambridge called ProQuest. Yeah. Pro- ProQuest Library mm-hmm. Information was uh, going through the series to, to digitize it. Mm-hmm. This was one of the main problems, too. That the, the, the writers felt that at the time they signed the contract, there was no ebook element. Mm-hmm. So they now have the muscle to renegotiate better percentages for themselves. Of course, the whole thing about the ebook is not quite fixed yet. I think the boom is still out, and people are still trying to do either private negotiations because I think the big publishing houses are still having to battle with the big search engines, Google, Amazon want to come in on those uh, uh, e-book uh, publications as well because it's big business. Mm-hmm. And so publishers are having to work <coughs> very hard, either coming together to form bigger, bigger conglomerates mm-hmm. in order to be able to fight or uh, uh, and negotiate a, a better a percentages or area of, of the e-book version for themselves. But I think at the moment I would say from our point of view at Idea, the new books we're doing at the moment goes straight on to e-books, because we have now built in an ebook contract. The, the backlist, we're still trying to negotiate what percent of this will be appropriate, and of course, writers want a bigger, bigger share of the pay. And why do they expect a bigger transaction? Because they feel, when you publish things online, A, hey, you don't spend as much on things like paper and all the other, you know, typesetting and everything, and most of the time, the books are already set. So it is a question of just transferring them on to the e-book formats. And so they're now, I mean, everything is on the internet and you can read up about how you transfer things. So they are not completely ignorant about the process anymore. So that becomes, you know, a bit of a problem. And publishers are, I feel, trying to negotiate with writers who didn't have that key element in their contracts try and you know, get percentages that
3: would make a them to make them happy so we can transfer all books once we do.